All right. Good morning. morning. How are we? Good, good, good. Good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, Last week of only one gathering. All right. That was exciting. (laughs) Man, praise God. God is doing a really, really, really good work here uh, in our body. So I'm excited to be here with you all this morning. Uh, It is also Super Bowl Sunday. All right. Three people excited about that. Who in here is rooting for the Patriots? A couple of them. Who in here is rooting for the Eagles? Excommunicated, all of you. Leave right now. All right, just kidding. Who's rooting for the commercials? Man, all right, Justin Timberlake? Who has no idea what the Super Bowl is? All right, five people. There we go. That is all right. Welcome. Uh, Good deal. Well, man, it is good to be here with you all. It's good. As we're wrapping up our vision series here, I think that this is a great way to end even just our one gathering as we're switching into two gatherings. I think that it's really uh, helpful to think about, man, what is the well here for? Why do we exist? What are the things we care about? Where do we want to go even this year in 2018? And so that's what we're doing is focusing on, man, where is God moving us to? What, why is he moving us there? What is the purpose of us gathering in these ways? And so uh, if you miss the other four uh, sermons in the series, I'd encourage you to hop online, go back, listen to that. You'll hear some of uh, who we are as a body and where we are going. But today I want to talk about one of the most important uh, visions of the well, one of the things that we care about the most, and that is that we would be a church that does not exist in and of and for ourselves, but rather we exist to make disciples to multiply and that that would even show itself, not just in the individual disciple making, though we long to see that, but that would even show itself in the corporate gatherings, or what I mean by that is that we would be planting churches and sending missionaries. And so one of the things that we want to see as a body is that uh, within the first 50 years of our existence, we would see 100 national churches planted, and that also within the first 50 years of our existence, we would see 100 full-time missionaries that are focused on church planting sent out from our body. And so 100, 100 within the first 50 years. And we want uh, this to be really the culmination in some ways of our multiplication, that we would see bodies and and groups of people that know and love and care about and understand who Jesus is really be sent out for the sake of seeing other people know and care about and love and and understand who Jesus is. We want people who desperately love Jesus, as Takasha was saying, and then we want to see those people make disciples. We want to see those disciples impact the world, and that that would all be for the glory of God. So, Today, this is what we're going to focus on, is one of our long-term visions as a body as a whole, is that what does it look like? Why? Why does this even matter? Why is this one of our our big visions as the churches and and the missionaries sent out? And then what does it look like for us as individuals? Like, like how do we play into that? Because a lot of us won't feel like those people who are supposed to go long-term overseas or are supposed to plant churches. So so how do we uh, take part in this? And what I believe is God's clear plan in the New Testament. What is look like for us as individuals. So that's where we're going today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. And we're going to jump around a little bit today, but we're going to start in Matthew chapter 16. So go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, the usher is going to come forward right now and uh, you can raise your hand and they'll give you a Bible. If you don't own a physical Bible, then man, raise your hand and take and keep that. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the word. You can also follow along on your smartphone. If you have the Version app underneath the uh, events section, type in the Well Austin. You can follow along that way, or you can take that link 
<clears throat> put it right into your browser, and you'll be able to follow along that way as well. We say this every week because we sincerely mean this. We want your eyes on the Word, okay? Uh, we really believe that God's Scriptures is the power, the authority of God to communicate to us who He is and what He wants us to do. And we want to be floored, not by good worship, not by a, a good speaking or something like that, but by the Word of God. Like, this is where power lies, and so we want our eyes on the Word, all right? So, um, before we go into the main text for this morning, which will actually be in the Psalm, Psalms, I want to uh, have us look at sort of the New Testament theme, the overview of the New Testament, and one of the missions of Jesus. And so that's why we're starting in uh, Matthew chapter 14. And what's happening here in this context, I'm sorry, chapter 16 is what it is. What's happening in this context is there are all sorts of people who are sort of uh, talking about Jesus. His name is sort of getting pretty popular, and people are kind of understanding who he is. And, and so he starts asking his disciples, well, hey, hey, who do people say that I am? And some of his disciples are like, well, well some people say the resurrected John the Baptist, right? Like, like his head got chopped off, but somehow you're back from the dead, and boom, that's you again, okay? Some people are saying Elijah. People are saying all these different things. And then if you pick it up in verse 15, he asks a very, very important question. He says to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So do you see the significance of this verse here? Now, honestly, there's a lot that we can even unpack within this, and there's a lot of a depth in here, but Peter, like knucklehead Peter, okay, like if you're familiar with the scriptures, you know, Peter's that guy who just, he talks too much, right? He's always saying stuff, and he's the guy who like says something really weird, and then instead of like just stopping and being like, gosh, that was weird, he like keeps talking and like digs himself further and further down, right? Like this is Peter, and Peter, he got it right? Now, I can respect that because I'm that guy, right? I just talk and talk and talk. And then, well, Peter, he actually got it though, okay? And Jesus is, is floored and he says, man, awesome. I'm, I'm really glad you get it. And this may even be the first time that like it truly sunk in because, you know, there were other times where it's like, you're a prophet, you're a teacher. There, there were things that he was excited about, but like this time it's like, no, you got it. Good job, Peter. And then he says, now here's what I want you to do. Go build the church, right? Like, I'm, I'm being serious. I want you to think about the significance of this, because he could have told Peter about the Holy Spirit, which is really important. He could have told Peter about uh, what it would look like to make disciples, or, or personal holiness, or how to read the Bible and pray, or, or the importance of community, or all these different things, right? But the second that Peter sort of gets it, that he, he realizes who Jesus is, Jesus says, awesome, I'm really, really glad you get that. Now go build churches, right? That was Jesus's immediate thought. And this is clear throughout the New Testament that this was the plan, this was the thought of Jesus is that new churches would be started. Now there's debate upon who the rock is in this verse. Is it Peter? Is it Jesus? But for the sake of context, it really doesn't matter during this sermon because what is clear is that Jesus wanted churches to be built. Jesus wanted a, a new works of gathering of people to understand and be able to confess the same thing that Peter confessed, that you are Jesus, the son of the living God. You are our savior, okay? And so this is significant. You think about the New Testament, and as it continues on, every single book in the New Testament, for the most part, is written to individual, local, what? 
churches, right? Even some of the individual letters that are written to individuals, well, they are pastors over local churches, and it is Paul telling them how to pastor the local church. You see it all throughout the book of Acts even, right? Thousands of people are coming to know Jesus. You know, I'm not going to lie. When I hear stories like what Joe said, I'm like, gosh, really? Like that many people? And it's like, yeah, it's in the Bible, bro. Right? Like this happened before. Thousands and thousands of people were being saved because the Holy Spirit was moving in these beautiful ways. But then what you see all throughout the book of Acts is church, 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 church. And so in Acts 8, you see the church formed. In Acts 10, you see the church multiply. And then in Acts 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 19, 20, 21, you see the word church, church, church over and over again. They are now making disciples, gathering them into the body, and then multiplying them. You see it throughout Acts, throughout the New Testament, that this was one of the things that God wanted to do was the multiplication of churches, not just individuals, right? Or even if you flip over to Titus chapter 1, in one of Paul's personal letters here, in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, he even says this very directly to Titus. He says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, this word church doesn't appear here, but elders do not function outside of the local church. There's no other uh, uh, way that elders function except within the church. And so what Paul is thinking here is that, hey, there are churches in every single town. So I want you to raise up godly men to go put in order so that there will be more structure, more beauty, more depth, so that there will be more churches in the long run. And so all throughout, we see the importance of gathering and of, uh, of circling together as believers on and on throughout the New Testament. And so church planning was not this wild, kind of crazy, sort of uh, radical idea that only a few people did. It was the, the norm. It was normative. It's what everybody was supposed to kind of be a part of and be excited about and, and to be pushing for was the local gatherings. Because as Takasha was saying today, it is true. There is something about gathering together as the people of God that is profound. It changes us. It does something. It, it, it helps us see and remember and, and be in awe at Jesus and who he is. And so everybody saw the need. And so while only a few may have went and actually started churches, or maybe only a few went as missionaries like the Apostle Paul, everybody recognized their, their role, the way they were supposed to play in the local church to establish it, to help her grow in love. Why? Because the local church is God's means of redeeming the world to himself. Okay, let me repeat that. The local church, okay, is God's means of redeeming the world to himself. And it's really, really clear all throughout the New Testament that this is why. Now, why, you may ask, why is it the local church? Okay, well, firstly, because there's just a deep, deep need for us to gather as a people. Why? Because we are forgetful people, right? Like we're in the middle of a worship song and we're like, holy there. And then we walk out and we're like, man, I hate that guy, right? <laughs> Like, we're forgetful people, okay? But when we gather together, right, and when we remind each other, then, man, we are encouraged. We are spurred on, right? The scriptures say spur one another on. So it's a deep, deep needed a need. It's a way that people grow in their affections for God. But secondly, it's because churches really are the, the sending agents or the mission agents that create deep and long-lasting change in the world for uh, the king, all right? And this is huge. So I want you to look at some of these stats here with me and think about the need, the importance even for church, okay? This is in America. 
right, American stats. So only one county in America, all right, has a greater church population than it did 10 years ago. And so why do we care about it? Well, because this is reversing the trend, right? Rather than churches starting and, and congregations multiplying and people's affections exploding for Jesus, we see the shrinking back of that. So we say, we don't want that, right? More than just us being a good body, more than us being encouraged, we want people to know and love Jesus because we think in him is eternal life. And so we see the importance of this, but, but it's shrinking, right? That 92% increase of the number of unchurched Americans in the past 13 years. One of them, the, the United States had the third largest population of unreached peoples behind India and China, right? We normally don't think of the states as a mission field, but we're the third largest unreached people group, right? Now, we're not unheard. A lot of people have access to the gospel, but they don't believe in this. And there are all these sorts of people who, who would need to hear about the love of Christ. 85% of all American churches are either plateaued or they're declining. And even in Austin, if everyone in this city were to say, you know what, I'm going to go to church this morning. And that was just a movement of God that there would only be enough room for 13% of the city to even attend and gather. And that's if every single church fills up every single gathering they have and every single seat is filled. There's only enough room for 13%. And so why plant churches even in our city, you may ask, like we're doing with Josh? Well, because that number needs to increase. <laughs> because the glory of God is what makes our hearts come alive, as we'll look at even in a second. Tim Keller says this. The vigorous, continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for the numerical growth of the body of Christ in a city and the continual corporate renewal and revival of its existing churches in the city. Nothing else, not crusades, outreach programs, parachurch ministries, growing megachurches, congregational consulting, nor church renewal processes will have the consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planting. Cedar P. Wagner, who is a leading missiologist, all right, yes, those people exist, all right, he's looking at all the trends, the importance of, of what happens, how do most people come to know about Jesus, and that continues and sustains, and he says this, planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven, Okay? That's not to knock parachurch ministries or something like that because those are vitally important. In fact, when the local church knows how to partner with the local parachurch ministry and they combine together, it even often creates that much more impact. But if it's only the parachurch ministry, if it's only these evangelical crusades, if it's only these things, they don't create long-lasting impact, we realize. Why? Because Jesus is a pretty smart guy. <laughs> Right? And, and he knew the strategy that would work from the very beginning. It was the planting of churches. There's something about church planting that makes this dynamic multiplication of the gospel possible. And so God's heart is for the local church. Why? Because God wants people to know him, to fall in love with him, to be spurred in their affections for him. I mean, and Jesus died for the church as a whole, right? Jesus did die for us as individuals. Yes, amen, hallelujah. But he'd also died for his wife, the bride, the, the body of Christ holistically. And every time it talks about Jesus dying in the New Testament, we see it not just as an individual acceptance between us and God, but we see it actually as this corporate acceptance that people from every tongue and, and tribe and nation and culture that they would all know about the love of Christ. Jesus loves his bride, and he intended for there to be a whole lot of more little microcosm brides around the world. 
And this is what we want to be a part of, is the mission of Jesus. This is why we are passionate about it, because we really believe that following Christ is life, as TK was saying this morning, right? Like, as we see and know and love Jesus, this is what multiplies joy in our heart. This is what makes us come alive, as Joe was saying. This is what we were made to do, was to see Jesus, to love him, and then to walk with him on mission for him. And this is what God is calling us to. And so uh, for the sake of context, all right, when we say 100, 100, 100 churches, 100 missionaries, we see both of those as church planting efforts. That's why we say 100 full-time missionaries that are focused on church planting, right? That's not to say that somebody who wants to go, say, uh, build water wells in Africa is doing something bad. They're not, right? But what we say is, man, we actually think that, that the church should be doing that. And then if you create a church, that it would actually create even that much more long-term impact. One of the things that I love is Compassion International, who a lot of you have probably heard of. You can sponsor, right, these Compassion children. Well, they have realized that after years and years and years of ministry that they see these kids kind of walk away or, or fall away. And what they've realized is because they're not plugged into a local church. And so Compassion has partnered with one of our uh, associations, the Acts 29 Association, to see churches planted and then Compassion children uh, taken care of. So that as they're taken care of, they're put into a community that can love them and, and mold them and surround them and, and see them hopefully even one day become church planters themselves. And so we need the local churches. It's just clear all throughout, right? And so this is what our heart is, and this is what the heart of God is, we think. And we see this even from the very beginning, that even before the New Testament, we actually see God's heart is for the nations pretty much right away. As he calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, he calls them that he may be a what? Blessing to the nations. It wasn't just Israel, right? Israel was supposed to be in some ways like a church where the glory of God dwelt and where people looked in and went, man, there's something awesome about that. And they were supposed to reach people and it would be the blessing to the nations. Instead, they got inclusive and sort of surrounded the walls and shut themselves out from the nations, right? Well, now we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of us and we are now like the temple of God, the New Testament says. That means that we can say, hey, come in and look at my life you will see the glory of God in us. And as we gather together, that glory only expands more and we see Jesus present. It's the same mission, just a little bit of a different context in the New Testament. But we see God over and over. He has a heart for the nations. And so for the rest of the morning, I want to spend our time in Psalm 67. So go ahead and flip there and we won't make you turn anywhere else this morning. But Psalm 67, and I want us to read this and I want us to think about just the importance of what God is saying here for the nations to know him. Psalm 67, pick it up in verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God our God shall bless us. God, our, or God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. We could literally just close the book right now, right? Like, that is a beautiful psalm, okay? Let's chop it up a little bit, though. Verse 1, let's read that again. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, Selah. 
All right, now, selah, what that was is it was a musical term that most likely meant uh, pause or to reflect on it or think about, dwell on this is what it meant. So in our context, it's like when we uh, do the bridge, right? It's just like a little instrumental version, and then you kind of build yourself up, and then boom, something like awesome comes right after it, right? It's like, hey, reflect on what we just said, and then be like, I will build my, right? And you start building up, building up. That's what a selah was. Hey, think about what we just said. Dwell on it. They probably literally paused as they were singing the psalm there, right? And so this is the time where everybody was getting kind of excited a little bit. They knew the next line. They're like, yeah. And then it's like, holy. And everybody's hands go up, right? That's what they would probably do. Or if you didn't grow up in a charismatic background, your hands are like, holy, <laughs> right? <laughs> If the Holy Spirit's really moving, you start moving just a little bit, right? Like, that's when you know he's powerful, right? So this is what that was in that context, okay? And so the psalmist says, hey, hey, God, let your face shine upon us. Or that Hebrew word shine can even mean smile. And so let your face shine upon us or radiate upon us, smile upon us. What? This graciousness, this, this blessing, this is what we want of you, to, to bless us, to be gracious upon us. Shine. Let me see you. Fill us with your presence. It's give me intimacy, oh God. Now pause and think about that. Why? Why do we want that sentence to be true? Like sincerely, think about it, right? Why is it that we want the graciousness of God, the, the blessing of God, the, the radiance, the, the smiling, the shining of God? Why do we want that? Well, then we pick up the music again in verse 2. It says that your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all the nations, so that the nations would know and be saved. This is why we want the face of God shining upon us, that the nations would be saved. This is what the heart of God was, that everyone everywhere would know, would understand, and would fall in love with Jesus and who he is, with the God of the universe, that they would commit themselves to him, surrender themselves under him, that they would be saved. We want the nations to see and we want them to sing. We want them to have joy, right? And in fact, look at verses 3 and 5. Verse 3 and 5, those are identical verses there, right? You see that if you have your Bible they're the exact same verses. And then in verse 4, you see a selah after verse 4. And verse 4 is also the exact middle verse in this whole psalm. And so 3 and 5 are sandwiching together verse 4. And verse 4 is the middle verse in the whole psalm. And so what's happening? We really want to focus on verse 4 is what that means. We really want to pay attention to that. This is the crux. This is the, the thrust of the whole passage is this verse. Let's read that again then. It says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth, Selah. We want everyone everywhere to be glad to sing for joy. And what creates this? What is the, the motivating factor? What, what compels this joy, this, this blessing, this graciousness? What makes the people sing for joy? Well, it's actually the judgment and guidance of God, Okay. Now, when we usually use the term judgment, we, in our culture, think about that in a really negative way, right? Like, oh, that Christian over there is judgy, right? And so then we sing songs like, only God can judge me, right? And that becomes what we think about, okay? We don't want to be judged, right? We see it only as condemning. However, to the psalmist, this is beautiful, right? Why? Why is the judgment of God beautiful? Well, we know the answer to this, as the psalmist may have as well. 
Because the gospel actually tells us, if we understand the main message of Scripture, it tells us that all of us fall short of the glory of God, right? Every single man and woman and child, and if you do not have a child, you will know once you have a child, they for real fall short of the glory of God, right? They may be cute, but they are cute sinners, right? (laughs) That all of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us, we have rebelled against God that at some point in our life we said, God, I don't really want anything to do with you. I am not on team Jesus over here. I am on team me. I am sovereign. I know what's best for my life. I am not going to submit to your rule. I will only be my own sovereign, my own God. I'm going to do what I want to do because I know what is best. God, I do not want you. I do not want you in my life. And all of us, at some point, we were born with this propensity to not want anything to do with God, which means that judgment for us was just that. Fine. You want nothing to do with God, then I will not give you myself, God says. We do not get God then. And in fact, this rebellion has actually created this separation, the scriptures say, that we should not be able to bridge There is no way for us to reconnect back to God because we think we find joy, but then just like the prodigal son, we go and we chase all these other things and we realize there's no joy found in them. There may be momentary happiness. There may be a little bit of approval. There may be a little bit of control or power, but when it's all said and done, this is not satisfying, but we've already rejected God. And so this should be a chasm for us. And yet the Bible tells us that rather than God condemning us, He does the exact opposite. He condemns himself. Why? Well, because there was a debt to pay. All this sin, we were were stealing against the treasuries of God. There There was wages to pay. And the scriptures say the wages of sin is death. Yet God, in his infinite love and in his profound mercy, rather than allowing us to die in our sin, he actually dies in our place. That if we believe in him, that we would become children of the living God, that this chasm that was created would be bridged back together, that we would have relationship with God again. This is the beauty, this is the wonder, this is the scandalous grace of the gospel that Jesus Christ, who who Simon Peter said, you are the Savior, you are the Son of the living God, that this man came and lived a life that none of us could live. It was a, a perfect life. And yet he died the death that all of us should have died. And the scandalous grace of the gospel says, if you just believe in him, what type of craziness is that? right? You don't have to do all these works. You don't have to make yourself clean or pure. All you have to do is believe in Jesus and say, I want to be on team Jesus again. And if you do that, he brings you back in because Jesus died where you should have and you get the life, the the joy, the victory that Jesus deserved. This is the truth of the gospel. Jesus, God, judges. (laughs) And if you are in Christ and he has judged you as righteous, He has judged you as pure. He has judged you as beautiful. You will forever be in heaven fully redeemed. This is why the judgment of God is good. Is because if we believe in Jesus, then that judgment upon us is not guilty. You get Jesus. We want the nations to hear this message, friends. Why? Because this is the message that liberates us. It frees us. It literally makes us to be the men and women that we were designed by God to be, fully alive and fully pure and fully clean. This is the truth of the gospel. This is what we were designed for. This is why the judgment of God is beautiful. 
Because if we believe in Jesus, we are judged as beautiful and clean. And then look at this even. As it goes on, it says, you lead us with judgment and with guidance even. Well, what happens when we believe in Jesus? The Holy Spirit comes inside of us, and he becomes our guide. <laughs> right? I mean, how does the psalmist even know this? I don't know. <laughs> right? But he becomes the guide to us. And he directs us and he says, no, 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 don't go back to that old life. Do do you remember? It wasn't that satisfying. It it seems tempting, but it wasn't that satisfying. And he guides us into life and he guides us into truth. And if you believe in Jesus and the Holy Spirit will be your guide and he will literally guide you into eternity, into your true home with Christ. We want the nations to be judged by God as accepted, (laughs) And then we want them to have the Holy Spirit, that they would be guided by that same God, the Holy Spirit, throughout all of their life. This is what we want the whole world to be able to see and to know. And this is written 2,000 years before Jesus even stepped on the scene. Because this was God's heart from the very beginning. That the people would know God, would fall in love with God, would be guided by God. God was always about the nations, the people, everyone, everywhere, understanding and seeing this message. This was the heart of God from the very beginning. As we were praying this morning before church, I was just looking around the circle a little bit. And I was amazed because in Revelation, we see this picture of the, the, the mission of God complete. And one of the things it says is that all the tongues, tribes, nations, cultures, they are all around the throne. Everybody believes it started in Jerusalem and it expands out to the ends of the earth. Always been God's design. And what happens is, is that we actually see even the fulfillment of that in our church today. Because we see younger and older knowing and loving Jesus we see white and black sitting next to each other. We see the, the Asian and the Hispanics sharing meal together. We literally see somebody who is American, right, and Adrian come up and speak Thai. Why? Because she was out in the world sharing the gospel as a missionary kid growing up. We see people going. We see people coming. We see the nations gathering. We see the mission of God beginning to be complete. That is a beautiful thing because that was God's heart from the very beginning. God wanted all the nations to know, understand, and love him. This has always been his heart. It's not just his heart. It's his heart like wildly. In fact, to be real with you, when I was kind of prepping this sermon, I was like, gosh, I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over and over again. And I went back and I looked at the psalm and I was like, oh, that's because this is the same thing over and over and over again. In fact, it may be a little bit small, but I want you to look at this, okay? I have three slides that are kind of back to back with one another. In this red, you see uh, an emotion highlighted. And if you can't see that, I'm sorry. The red doesn't show up that great. But there's an emotion of joy or, or, or happiness or, or praise. It happens 11 times throughout this psalm. In the next slide, we actually see the word nations or people also highlighted. How many times do you think? 11 throughout the psalm. In the final slide, we see the name God or the first person address of God, you, highlighted how many times? 11 times throughout the psalm. That's pretty dope, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I was, I was counting it and I was like, oh my gosh, it's 11, 11, 11, <laughs> right? So <laughs> this is great, right? This is God's heart, clearly. God wants the nations to be glad. This is what it says over and over and over again, right? That the nations would be glad, that they would understand, know who God is. And so this is why we want to exalt God. This is why verse 1 tells us that we want the grace of God dwelled upon us and God's face radiating upon us, shining upon us. Why? Because we want the nations to know. And just as we are the nations ourselves, we want to know. 
The joy of God is what we were designed for. Now, you may be a little bit confused because the very last emotion, put that slide back up, sorry. The very last emotion on here is fear, if you can read that. Joy, happiness, joy, blessing, joy, 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 fear, right? Well, fear is also usually a negative word in us, just like judgment is usually negative in our context. But here, it's actually sort of the the crux of it all. It's the last thing that the psalmist says, that they may fear God, and this is highlighted as a good thing. Why? Well, I think the best picture of it that I can uh, uh, describe is that um, this seems negative, but fear exists when you're in relationship to a being that is far more superior than you and that could utterly decimate you if he wanted to, and yet instead he chooses to draw you close, there's something astounding about that. I think about it in my own kids, right? I think about it with my middle daughter, Kyria. She uh, is one that responds to punishment like immediately, okay? So if you're like Kyria, she'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry, right? And that's just her, okay? And in that, don't, like, don't actually say, like, Kyria, do you want a spanking? Utter meltdown. She'll never do that thing again, okay? Why? Because she responds. There's this fear that happens between me and her, actually. And yet, does this fear make her run and cower in a corner? Well, no. In irony, when I am talking about judgment or punishment, instead of running away from me, she actually runs close to me, right? This is the type of fear that it is talking about. Because Adam, when he sinned, rather than running toward God, he ran away from God because he was afraid of God. Yet we as believers, we can fear God, and so we do not want to sin. But even when we do, we know we can come close. Why? Because we know that God is for our joy. He is for our blessing. He wants us to know who he is. In fact, look at this. Go to the next slide. I think I have it on there. Uh, Exodus twenty twenty. Yes, I did put it. Great. I love this verse, right? Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test you that you may fear him, okay, uh, uh, of him and may be before you that you may not sin. Do not fear, fear. What's happening here, right? Well, it's what we just talked about, right? Even though God should decimate us, instead he brings us in close. And so there's this respect of God that we may not sin against him because we realize in God is eternal life. Why would I ever want to forsake that? right? It's something that my eldest, Micaiah, doesn't really get, right? There's no fear of me in her eyes, right? She thinks she can take me, okay? She's like, I don't want anything to do with you, right? And yet, so she actually pushes herself away, and she runs away, and every time she gets in trouble, it's like an hour and a half whole ordeal, because she's running, running, running with Kiri. It's like two minutes, and then we're hugging and kissing, and it's great, right? Like, man, this is what God wants from us, right? So even fear is a good thing now, Because it submits us back under God where we find our ultimate life, right? God loves us. And even though powerful, even though he is the one that could destroy us, instead he took that power and laid it down so that we who are powerless may now feel powerful forever in him. In fact, that we may now be liberated and free forever. This is the gospel. And so this fear, this respect, this this reverence of God, it actually leads to our joy. It it leads to our blessing. It leads to this excitement, this, this strength, this liberation. It makes us free. This is the truth of the gospel. This has been God's heart from the very beginning. This is why we want to go, that the nations would be glad. This is why I love, right, that somebody came here to the states or to Texas or to Austin to to plant churches so that more people would hear so that we now can gather together and, and hear about the glory of Christ. This has been God's heart from the beginning. 
He wants all people to know him because the knowledge of him is eternal life. When you know God is when you are most free. When you understand Christ is when you are liberated the most. When you have God, you become fully alive. I think about the times where in my life where I kind of strayed from God. I said, hey, I don't really want anything to do with you, God. And I start kind of running away from God, kind of pushing back against him, right? And it wasn't like I was the guy who was like, oh, I have nothing, right? Like I thought my life was pretty good. You know, I came to Christ late, late in high school, but right before that, I was the the homecoming king and the prom king, so I was the popular guy. I was the captain of four different sports teams, so I was athletic. I was the president of National Honor Society, so I was kind of smart, but not really because my school wasn't that great, but I still showed something, right? So I had the intellect and the athletic and the the popularity. I kind of thought I didn't need anything, and then I encountered the love of Christ, I realized, what is all this stuff? It's to loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. These things felt like they were giving me something, and they were trash, Paul says. They were, they were rubbish. They were, they were dog poop is really what Paul's saying there, right? They were nothing. And, 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 and all of a sudden, the love of Christ, it exploded into my heart, and I realized this was the thing I was missing. If you do not know Jesus, this is what you are missing. The love of Christ the joy, the blessing, the gladness, the happiness. This is why we want to take this message to the nations because there is nothing else that satisfies like Jesus. Friends, if there were other things that satisfy, that's what I'd be preaching right now because I want you to come alive, right? There's nothing else that satisfies like Jesus. I have tasted and I have seen and I know the glory of God and in him is life eternal, And so this was the heart of God from the very, very beginning. And this is why we want to make disciples. This is why we want to see Christ magnified. In fact, this is why we want to plant churches, friends, because we want the nations to hear about God. And so what do we do with this? What what is this psalm even telling us to do? What, What is our application? Well, honestly, it's the same application we've had throughout the whole sermon series, right? Hey, join the family. Join the family, right? If it's not the well, then find some local church that you can attach to and you can give yourself for that the glory of Christ may be revealed in and through you and to other people that you may be showing others the glory of God, the blessing of God, the the gladness of God, and that you may be receiving the, the blessedness, the gloriousness of God. Because even though we may not all be called to go physically plant churches or maybe God's not calling us to go overseas full time, what we've seen throughout this whole sermon series is that he still gifts each one of us individually that when we come together, we see the glory of God expounding and and almost bubbling up. And when I see these different gifts overwhelming the body, it makes me overwhelmed with joy for Jesus. And it helps me fall in love with Jesus. And it brings my joy and my gladness And I hope that as God uses my gifts, it brings your joy and your gladness. And that as we serve one another and and highlight Christ to each other, that it brings us joy and gladness. Friends, if your thought of God is that he is off in heaven sort of looking down at you with this mean face, you haven't read the Bible. Because the God of the Bible is for your joy. He is for your gladness. He is for your blessing. And he just knows that that's found in nowhere else but himself. So he says, worship me, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary, I will give you rest. Because he knows that rest is found in nowhere else but him. And so we want to be a church that takes him out as much as possible. And so splitting off into two gatherings isn't just so we can bring in more people, though we hope more people hear the message of the gospel. Amen? But it's also so that we can multiply, so that we can go. 
so that more and more people may hear about the beauty of Jesus. Friends, in Christ is life. In him is life. I pray that that life would be bubbling and dwelling up inside of you and that we would be a people that when people look at this church in Austin, that we would be known not just for having teaching or or having worship or, or even having good community groups or fellowship or any of those things, but that we would be known as people who are desperately head over heels in love with Jesus And that as Jesus spurs up and and stirs up his affections for him in our hearts, that we want everybody to know about this blessed God and Savior, that this would be our legacy in 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 the city, in the world, that the nations would hear and that the nations would be glad. Friends, let's let the nations be glad. That gladness is found in Christ. I love you guys. Let's pray. Oh, man. God, I thank you that this 100, 